You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. You have heard it said that you only live once. You have heard it said, live it up, life is short. And the question is, what happens after we die? See, people that you know and that I know, I see them going through heroic measures just trying to stay alive, even medically, those who've gone into remission and recovered or those who've been healthy their whole lives, all of us at some point eventually walk that final struggle, the one that we will not win, the final struggle, walking not in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, but walking against death itself. Because from everywhere I can see, people are just dying to stay alive. I read this story about Grant and Owen, uh, two guys from Blenheim who were flying their home-built plane up the valley of the Polaris Sound. When they were flying along, the engine started to sputter and cough, and it died. And my, he said to the Associated Press that my friend and I are both Christians, so our immediate reaction in the face of death is to pray. And so they began to ask for God's help. And Grant told the Associated Press, he said, he prayed that this tiny craft would get over the top of the ridge. Right now they're flying over the ocean, but that they could just get up over the top of the ridge and find a level place to be able to land. And as they crested the top of that ridge, they looked over and they saw a landing strip, an airfield that they neither had known was ever there before. And he said, there was this instantaneous answer to prayer that as we crested it, we saw this grassy airstrip and we had no idea that it was there. And so we flew right down to it, gliding this now powerless airplane right down onto that grassy strip. And as they stopped at the end of the airstrip, they got out of the airplane and looked right next to them. And there was a 20 foot tall sign that said, Jesus is Lord, the Bible. And they began to laugh. They said, we took that as an answered prayer right away, Stubbs said. And, and nearby residents then provided them with enough petrol and gas to fly the home-built plane back to its base. What do you do when you have a near-death experience? To whom do you turn when you've had a scare like that? The question is, what happens when you and I die? Because in reality, there's a huge desire inside of all of us that we are, we're dying to stay alive. We're not like dying to die. We're dying to stay alive. We want to live, and that desire comes out in the most dire of circumstances. You know, I've read about near-death experiences. I've read books like Heaven is for Real and 90 Minutes in Heaven, and let me just be honest with you for a minute. I just don't know what to do with these experiences. And the reason is there are no firsthand interviews from the Bible about people who were declared dead and then were brought back to life. You don't find what happened while they were away, what happened while they were dead, what happened while they were out. You don't find any of that. 
And so when you look in the Bible, you don't hear from Lazarus. You remember Lazarus? He's the brother of Mary and Martha. He gets sick. They send out word to Jesus. Jesus, can you come? Your friend Lazarus is sick. Can you come to heal him? And Jesus waits. He doesn't go. And then word comes that Lazarus has died. And then Jesus and his disciples go there to visit. And Mary is crying and Martha is crying. And and they're saying, if only you had come earlier, if only you had met us at the moment of this near-death experience, he would not have experienced death. And Jesus weeps. And then he has them roll the stone away where he's been dead, buried for four days. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of that grave, and then Jesus has others go and help take the grave clothes off, take them away. But that's all we hear. We see the miracle of Jesus, the power of God, but we don't hear an interview. There's no like side person who just sat down with Lazarus. There were no 60 minutes where they said, Lazarus, what was that like? Were you conscious? Did you know what was going on, or did it just feel like you went to sleep? Were you at rest? Were you in torment? What what was that like? There's no firsthand interview with him. There's no firsthand interview with Jairus' daughter, whom Jesus healed from afar and just spoke the words. And though she was distant, she was raised up, though she had been declared dead. We do not hear a firsthand interview from Dorcas. We don't hear a firsthand interview from the Bible from Eutychus. Now, this was the guy who fell asleep while Paul was preaching. He, he, Paul was going on and on, and the guy was on a third-story window, and he was getting really comfortable, and the scriptures say that he fell into a deep sleep. And then he fell out of the window from the third story onto the ground. They went outside to check on the guy who fell out the window. He was declared dead. And God, through Paul, brought him back to life. Let me tell you, there's a warning in there somewhere. You shouldn't fall asleep while the pastor is preaching. But the modern firsthand interviews, the firsthand accounts that we get from people who say, I had a near-death experience or I was dead, declared dead for nine minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes or three hours or for some time, we get firsthand interviews. And and I've read from those who have claimed to have gone to heaven and, and returned to life, but it raises a concern for me all too often Those who published a book and declared to be dead are later debunked, later deny that what they had stated in the book was accurate. Beyond that, these books contain no new information. Say, well, Dave, what do you mean by that? They don't contain any new information. What I mean by that is this, that they they don't contain new information. They elaborate on what we would already know about heaven or what we would already expect about heaven. We would expect that there's music in heaven. And so the book 90 Minutes in Heaven, for example, will describe just how elaborate and how amazing the music was, but they don't bring to the discussion anything new that you wouldn't have previous knowledge about. They just elaborate on what is to most people common knowledge. I'm not saying that it didn't happen. Because God can do whatever he wants. However, the attorney in me, and my dad was an attorney, and so the attorney's son in me 
wants something more substantial. Similarly, when you read a story where someone says, well, I I actually spent a few minutes in hell, and then I came back to the light or whatever, and no one goes to hell and comes back to talk about it, and, and if they did, wouldn't they be sure to get saved? I mean, Google it. People who say, you know, I almost was in hell, but then Jesus or some light drew me back, they, they don't come out and say, oh, and so then I fell to my knees and I absolutely got saved. What they usually describe is a vision or an injury. And, and with this, I almost went there, but Jesus or the light pulled me back, disclaimer. On the contrary, when we look at the Bible, visions in the Bible were identified as visions. They were never identified as like near-death experiences. And what we see in our life and the people around us is that people are just dying to stay alive. Life is short, people would say, so live it up. You only live once, they say. But the truth is, all of us, to some degree or another, we're dying to stay alive. So what happens when we die. Fortunately, Jesus gives us an account from Scripture that will give some clarity on this with this parable. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 16. Beginning with verse 19, Jesus begins to describe a parable. And, and let me just say, in parables, Jesus, as he told parables, he rarely, if ever, gave a name in a parable. But Jesus begins to describe for both the believers, those who were following him, his disciples, and then the Pharisees who were questioning him, who didn't believe him, who were cynical about the Old Testament, who were cynical about Jesus possibly being the Son of Man, the Messiah, come. He tells this parable to that crowd. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 says this, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, now there's some interesting information in the scripture here I want you to understand. That is, Jesus is telling this parable, he's very particular about what he's saying. And what he's saying is this. He's saying when he uses the illustration of crumbs or sores on the man's skin or dogs licking him, all those things would make a person unclean in the Pharisee's eyes. They would say those are all evidences that the hand of God's favor is not on that person. In fact, it would appear that the hand of God's favor is against that person. And so here's a man named Lazarus laid out there who is divinely disapproved of in Jesus's parable by his condition. And I need to let you know that Lazarus is the only guy ever named in one of Jesus's parables. The only one. Lazarus in, is, uh, in Greek uh, is Eleazar, which means whom God has helped. So you hear the name Lazarus, that's Greek. In Hebrew, it's Eleazar. Any person standing around would understand that Eleazar means whom God has helped. Uh, what, a, what an interesting factor, right? That you look and you say, 
whom God has helped. And, and everybody hearing the story is saying it doesn't look like he got any help from God. But his name would indicate that he's going to be helped by God. But they would look and say, oh, poor Lazarus. Jesus goes on in verse 22. He says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Verse 25, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received many bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, well, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus tells this parable, and in it, we have some interesting things for both these people illustrated here. First, immediately things that we can guarantee that we can know on from Jesus' words, Jesus' parable, we know that there in his illustration is consciousness after death. Both died. Both are conscious after death. They're not asleep. They're not delayed. They're not waiting around. They're not in some state, but after death, they both experience consciousness. Not only that, but after death, almost immediately, both experience blessing and or torment right away. One who was rich and who was unconcerned about those who were poor or those who were oppressed, who never thought, didn't care, didn't give, didn't help, are in torment. On the other hand, the one who had faith is in blessing. And third thing we can understand is that those in heaven seem to be with friends. They seem to be with the forever family of God. That here Lazarus, a poor beggar, is now in the presence of the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham. He's in relationship. They're, they're together. They're in a place of blessing. They're in a place of friendship. They're in a place of relationship. But what we can tell from Jesus' illustration here is that those in Hades or hell seem isolated. It used to be back in the day, people would say, well, I'm just going to, we're all going to end up in hell, so I just want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are because we're going to just party there. 
But what we see in scripture is that those in hell seem to be isolated from one another. Those in hell see the blessing, the what could have been, but they are isolated in their torment. They are separated from relationship with those with whom they'd want to have relationship. And Jesus uses in this illustration a very interesting word. He uses the word torment. People say, what does torment mean? What does he mean by this man is experiencing a fiery state and he's in torment? What does that word mean? It speaks of an unquenchable fire. Uh, There also seems to be an accusing conscience fed by memories of lost opportunity to believe. Oh, if he had only believed, if he had only cared, if he had only in his life done what was needed to be done in his life to put appropriate, proper faith in the Messiah who would die for him, things could be different. But as of now, there's a chasm. There's a separation. We also see that there's a concern there that no one else end up in the same situation that they are. And so this man, this rich man, has concern for his brothers who don't believe. We see that there is also for him a permanent separation between God and between good. And those are things we can know right away that we can unpack from Jesus' illustration here. It's such a contrast. It's interesting to me what the rich man does in Jesus' parable. The rich man who would not give a crumb to Lazarus, who wouldn't give him a second thought, wouldn't even give him a crumb, now asks Abraham to send Lazarus to him as if he's a servant to serve him with a drop of water. It's such a contrast. It's almost as if that that mindset hasn't fully changed, right? Even though in torment is now like, please just send even that guy. Like, Abraham, I don't want you to dip your finger and bring it to me, but, but maybe you'd send that guy. There's almost a disdain. But in his torment, he's looking for anybody to help. What a contrast, though. He wouldn't give the poor, the downcast, the oppressed a second thought while living. But in the afterlife, he would love to receive even anything from that poor person. Let me ask you a question. Do you care about the poor who sleep outside your door? Do you care about the opportunities for the poor who are are laid at your feet or, or at your house? Or do you just care for yourself and you rarely give thought to people in India or in hard situations or other believers around the world who are not in the same situation as you? God's heart cares for the poor. God's heart cares for the oppressed. Here the Pharisees were hiding behind their religious behavior. We're religious. We think we're saved. We're rich because of our occupation was the condition for them in that day. They didn't have to work so much, but people brought sacrifices, and they would often eat and live off of the temple tithe. They would eat and live off of the the sacrifices that were given. They had it kind of fat. And Jesus is using this illustration to point to even the Pharisee who has much religious knowledge 
that they still must believe. Jesus didn't tell this story, by the way, for the purpose of evangelism. He wasn't proselytizing by telling the story. Jesus was telling the story to indicate that the Pharisees, that this kind of thing was going to happen to them. Jesus didn't tell this story to make people fear hell and believe in him. That was not his purpose. He was simply telling the story so that these Pharisees who were listening would understand what Jesus was projecting would happen to them. See, they assumed that their riches, that their comforts were a sign that God's blessing was upon them. So they took their external circumstances and say, my external circumstances say that God's blessing is upon me. But in fact, Jesus shows up to say, that may not be the case. Even the poor beggar who you would disdain and not think about is the one who is exalted in heaven because of their faith, authentic faith, in God and through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. See, the Pharisees, they utterly lack compassion on the poor and the oppressed. And they actually would be the ones surprised to find themselves in hell. And they would realize that the condition of their friends or their family would be the same thing, that they might find themselves surprised to end up here. And so his concern comes out for his friends, his family, that, that Abraham would send Lazarus back from the dead, the guy that they would all know, back from the dead, and tell them the truth of this place. But remember, Jesus himself rose from the dead. And so many of these Pharisees would remain unsaved, unconvinced, defiant. What is Jesus doing? He's telling them that even if someone were to rise from the dead and go back and tell them, they would still not believe. It's interesting that the first thing he tells them, that Abraham tells this man in torment, it says, your brothers, they have... Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the Bible. That's what he's saying to them. At that point, that was the Bible to them. All, it was the entirety of scripture for the people in Jesus' day. And he's saying, listen, these people, your brothers, have the Bible. And this guy's going, that's not enough. That's not enough. We gotta, we gotta go beyond that. We gotta bring somebody from the dead and make them alive. And yet Abraham says to him, if they do not listen to the Bible, they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What is Jesus doing? He's forecasting. He's telling them that he's going to rise from the dead. He's telling them that they don't believe him right now, they don't believe the Bible, and even if someone rose from the dead, they might likely remain and their defiance. Isn't it interesting that Jesus knew the human heart? He knew the condition of people. And he knew that if you and I will not believe the Bible, then a near-death experience is not going to be what changes and convinces us. He knew something about the nature of humanity, that we need a Savior. 
and that that Savior is in Christ alone, and that that Savior is revealed through the Scriptures in the Old and the New Testament, forecasting the coming of the Messiah, forecasting that Jesus himself will come again. But how many of us live with a head knowledge belief of the Scriptures, but you don't live like Jesus is coming back again? Listen, if you don't believe the scriptures, you're not going to be convinced even if someone who is dead and risen comes back again. You may not actually even believe at that point in time. So today, you and I are faced with a question. What happens when we die? The answer to the question is this. You and I die to be alive. In other words, you will be dead and you will be alive. That there is consciousness, there is life after death. The question is, where will you and I be once we are conscious after death? Where will we be? Where will you and I put our faith? Which statement is true of you from Jesus' parable? Is it this one? Today, you will be with me in paradise. You remember when he said that, don't you? Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's dying for our sin. He's on the cross, and beside him are two thieves, one on one side, one on the other, and one is hurling insults and unbelief and mockery at him, even though he's in the same condition. He's dying. On the other side is another man who realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, and he says, he says, Father, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He says this to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And he rebukes the guy who's mocking him. This thief over here rebukes the other thief. Says, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus, though suffering on the cross, turns to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Where will you be 60 seconds after you die? Will the statement of Jesus be true in your life? Will it be today you will be with me in paradise? Or is the statement from this parable more accurate? That if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, in other words, you do not listen to the Bible, you will not be convinced even if somebody rises from the dead. See, you and I, we're going to die someday, and we die to stay alive. We die. And after death is consciousness. When you and I finally take that perilous flight through death, I believe that we will have the same reaction as those pilots who are flying their plane along, who are, who are cruising along and just hoping to make it up over the top, and they land, and they come outside, and it will be immediately clear to you and to me like those pilots who ran out of fuel and then prayed and, and landed their plane, that it will be clear to you, it will be clear to me that Jesus is Lord just as we've been told all along by the Bible. And you'll know in that moment that with Jesus, you die to stay alive in the right place in this forever family with him. But it is only through Jesus and through his death on the cross that that could ever be true of you or of me. 
that there's no other path to salvation but through Jesus Christ. We don't tell you this story today to try to shock you into anything, but rather to begin to reveal and peel back for you and for me the condition of our heart. Does our heart, is it hardened against the truth of God's scripture? Is it hardened against who Jesus is? Is is our heart perhaps not hardened against Jesus, but is it relying on our knowledge of Jesus instead of our faith being in Jesus? That we know a lot, that we've been a part of church, that maybe you've grown up and you've gone to church a long time. But instead, is it revealing the condition of your heart that you've had the law, you've had the prophets, you've had the writings of Moses all along, but you've never surrendered your life to him. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe today is that day with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just focusing on your own life. I want to just ask you this question. If you were to die today, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you would be because of Jesus? And if not, would you realize that it, his free gift of salvation is found in a simple gift that only you need to receive. God has offered us eternal life through the sacrifice of his son on the cross who rose again from the grave and walked in a new life. And today, if you would like to receive eternal life, the forgiveness of your sin, being made a new creation, giving a deposit of God's Holy Spirit inside of you as, an, as a deposit of an inheritance that will happen for you and me after death, then we do that by surrendering ourselves to him. You could do that right where you're seated right now in prayer. You just pray right where you're seated after me. God hears you. You just pray this prayer. Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that you died on the cross, that you were dead and you were buried, and that you rose to new life, that you alone are God. And so I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation, that God, you would forgive me of all my sin, that you would give me your Holy Spirit as a deposit of what is to come. And that, God, you would give me the assurance that as I surrender my life to you, because of your sacrifice, I could have new life. So today, Jesus, I give you me. If you prayed that prayer right now, would you just raise up your hand anywhere around the room? Just raise it up right where you're seated right now. We've got some friends who'd like to come around and give you some information about that decision that you just made that helps you understand that even more and how to grow in a relationship with the living God. Awesome. Sun Grove Church, will you give it up for what God is doing among us? Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.